Jim Carrey entertains himself mightily and his enthusiasm is infectious. One of my favorite film critics, Owen Gladman of Entertainment Weekly. He's talking about our old movie this week, which is Liar, Liar. That's right. Felt like a good classic movie. So it came out in 1997. That would be what? The 26th anniversary this year. One of Jim Carrey's finest. Uh, the kids and my wife were watching it the other day. So I was able to pop in for a little bit. Re refresh my memory of the genius of Jim Carrey. That's our old movie this week. As far as our new movie, well, it's kind of a quiet week for movies. You know this about August. You're generally not getting many really good movies, with the exception of Sausage Party, which I did watch the Little League World Series a few years ago. You know, August is kind of a dumping ground because if, if you really think your movie is going to be a big summer hit, you're releasing it as you did with Barbie or Oppenheimer in July. If you think it's like a big action movie, you get released in Memorial Day weekend. By the time it gets to August, it's kind of like, eh, this isn't quite the critically acclaimed Oscar bait, which comes out in September, but it's not quite the big boff of summer movies. So you kind of just dump it in August. So to be honest with you, there's not much at the theater, which I'm going to be watching. So instead of actually seeing a movie at the movie theaters, we're watching something on the small screen. That would be Winning Time, which is the winning show on HBO, all about the Lakers of the early 1980s. And we are talking to Edon Ravine. He is the producer of Winning Time. So that is our new this week. It's the returning show, season two of that show. And our wild card we'll discuss in just a second. A couple of notable deaths plus a notable birthday. Let's first discuss Winning Time because we'll get to Edon in a second. Cody, you're a fan of the show. One of my good friends, Scott Spinelli, who's going to be coming on Cinefon in a few weeks. I've already booked him. Uh, and he's a gigantic basketball fan. He's a huge Spurs fan. And he said to me that day, he goes, I don't really feel the need to watch this show. Like He goes, I I'm aware of what happened. It's not like it's so long ago the stories are new to me. How would you describe Winning Time to somebody who has not watched the show? That's funny because I did watch the first season, haven't gotten to the new season yet, but I kind of agree that I watched it, didn't dislike it, but didn't love it. It was just kind of like, yeah, this is happening. I'm watching this. And mm -hmm. I kind of get his, even though he hasn't watched it, just Correct. like I did kind of have an indifference to it while I'm watching. I didn't feel like I was watching something amazing, but it kind of, mm -hmm. it hung. I like the magic, a lot of sex, a lot of yeah. Magic Johnson sex. So that kind of kept me around. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm with him on his indifference. It doesn't feel as big as you would think this show would with HBO. Right. Well, that, it's a good point you make, because when the Emmy nominations came out, as you just said, HBO shows, normally you're getting half a dozen nominations minimum, right? Just the fact it's an HBO show, especially with big stars like this, John C. Riley and Adam McKay and those names involved. And yet, I don't think it got one Emmy nomination, which is kind of shocking. Now, I know this has never been a better time for television, and it's a very competitive landscape. And you know, next year, you won't have the likes of Maisel and Succession, et cetera. But uh, I'm with you. Normally, you just go HBO show, big time money, big time expenditure. They'll, they'll get nominated for a bunch. Maybe the Academy's not as much into sports stories. Perhaps maybe there were some lukewarm reviews. But regardless, uh, I enjoyed season one. and I enjoyed talking to Edon here in just a second. One of my observations about the show was that, and I'm sure I think we discussed this previously, is that they really kind of took their time with the story. It wasn't like, all right, when do we yeah. get to the Kurt Rambis clothesline? It's like, no, no, we're going to do season one, 1980, 81, season two, 83. So like, I... I guess a credit to to HBO or at least the creators that they feel the like hey play. we can long play right we're gonna we're gonna do eight seasons of winning time that's what we feel like going into this thing or perhaps they'll feel like if there's pressure on them like the ratings aren't great HBO is not sure if they're gonna renew then they'll go okay fine watch this we're gonna do eighty five <laughs> to eighty seven right. in like one season like watch yeah. this we're gonna go berserk we'll get we'll get Magic's AIDS announcement we'll get like all the crazy stuff like don't worry we'll we'll empty the tank if need be until then it's the long play uh, again winning time we'll discuss here in just a second but first off. Uh, as always, go to Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe, rate, and review. Give some love to the pod. As always, enjoy. I uh, hope you people enjoy our segments with me and David Sampson going at it. Uh, this past week, we discussed Steve Martin. Speaking of notable birthdays, I think he turned 79. It's kind of shocking. He's one of those guys who's always looked old. So, like, I think it was a detriment when he was younger because he had the white hair when he was, like, 21. 
But now it's like he looks fantastic. Is he? Oh my god, you're 79. Like he look, he, he's permanently looked like 57 for about 25 years. He had. When did he get that white hair? Right? Like you feel like he had. Yeah. A, is that a good thing to look old? Always look old. It's good when you get old, I guess. Yeah, I don't like it when you're younger. I think he should yeah. have dyed his hair when he was like 32. Like, dude, you would have had so much better roles. But instead, yeah. he's like, nope, I've got white hair. I'm 21 years old. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's that's definitely a bold choice there by Steve Moore. Somebody should have got him a you know little case of just for men. See how his career would have changed. But things have obviously worked out well for uh, for Steve. Uh, Samson and I did our top five uh, uh, Steve Martin movies. Samson's was pretty good. Thirty Rotten Scoundrels, The Jerk, Three Amigos, Pink Panther, which was terrible, which was the worst choice, which me and Amin uh, crushed him on, which of course <laughs> Juju then cut up for social. All of me, which I was disappointed. I think Mike Ryan had never even heard of it. I said oh, that's actually a pretty good comedy, a really good physical comedy. Him and Lily Tomlin. Rogowski's a big fan of all of me. Uh, my list, which was of course better. Uh, Chris's mom will agree with me. Plane, trains, and automobiles yes. are number one. My boy Hoosh, who's the biggest fan of L.A. Story, along with me. L.A. Story at two. Samson said it's one of his favorite movies. He doesn't consider it a comedy, which is ridiculous. Number three, my boy Cabby backed me up. Bowfinger, which is criminally underrated, hilarious. Steve Martin and uh, obviously Eddie Murphy, Heather Graham. Forrest, Father of the Bride. Kirkchen, big fan of Martin Short, is Frank. And number five was Parenthood. I would say my weakest is Parenthood, which is still a funny movie, but I just clearly my list is better than Samson. I don't think Dominique, though, big on the whole movie theme. Did you go back and listen to this? I told you it wasn't. Yes, uh, I did listen to it, and I agreed with your sentiment. Um, You know, they all can't be winners. we got a lot of co-hosts running through here. You know, you can't win with (laughs) them all. Who do we have co-hosting the Levitard show this week? Izzy. Oh, Izzy's in this week. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Izzy, Izzy like and, like, and we're rotating like our like shipping container crew. Like today, Billy was in the in the Stugatz chair with Izzy. Nice. And I think uh, Mike Ryan and Billy are going to be like rotating out of that chair this week with okay. Izzy. I so. like I like seeing the shipping container, the, the so called supporting cast getting in the the lead yes. role, so to speak. Well, that's good to see. So maybe we'll bring that back with Samson as well. I mentioned happy birthdays. I got to give a shout out, of course, to Robert De Niro celebrating his 80th birthday on August 17th. As discussed earlier, Cody not a big birthday guy. I didn't realize I was, but I guess I am, because when I hear August 17th, I immediately know Robert De Niro's birthday. And uh, unfortunately, I guess the invite got lost in the mail, but great party they had at De Niro's restaurant. (laughs) Scorsese was there. Keitel was there. Paul McCartney was there. Francis Ford Coppola was there. Pretty good who's who. Would have been nice if Cinefile could have showed up. Specifically to Marty, they said Scorsese showed up with signing autographs in, like, outside, signing autographs outside. So I'm like, my man Marty, man of the people. Killers of the Flower Moon. Do you think that Marty Scorsese has ever seen you on TV, heard your name mentioned, or is just in any way aware that you exist? No, but it's just kind of shocking because you're right. If you just if you did like word association, if you just said Martin Scorsese, you go Adnan Burke, like you're like yeah, like right. Adnan's the biggest fan of his, like sports he, guy, right? Maybe like like best no, no, case scenario, no, no, best no, case scenario, no, doesn't is, like sports. But I'm just saying, best case oh. scenario is he's yeah. just stumbled upon oh, your name at said, some point, yeah, and he goes oh, right. sports guy. Like that's best case scenario. That's a sports yeah. guy. I think I've heard that name. I've seen him on mute on a TV before on some no. MLB Network. What's baseball called? <laughs> you know, like something like that. <laughs> it's an excellent question, but you're right. He's such a non-sports fan. There's just no chance. Like I feel like any of these Hollywood people have to at least be somewhat of a sports fan. And then and then you get a pretty good chance. Maybe you're known as the one move. Like there's just this guy that does movie the movie podcast, and he's obsessed with you. Maybe that's that, how you... <laughs> Yeah, that would be amazing. If someone, someone, like maybe in the interview with De Niro, De Niro just mentioned to him, by the way, hey, there's this dude at ESPN. And yeah. he's like, what? What's ESPN? He's like, no, he's, yes. he's obsessed with you. He's like, okay. Like that, that's to the extent of it. Like it was like, I, it was like, a, like an irritating fly. I was like, what? Like, get this gnat out of here. Like, well, I don't care. Whatever. Okay. What would you say <laughs> if you found yourself in an elevator with him? Well, it's a great question because people, you know, I've lived such a charmed life and I've met so many of my heroes. You know, Federer is going to be, 
being inducted in the International Tennis Hall of Fame next year in Newport, Rhode Island, which is about an hour 40 where I used to be in Connecticut. So I'm guessing three and a half hours. Of course I'm going. But they may actually do it. He's eligible to be in the same time as Serena, which would be like, like I don't think Rhode Island can handle that. Yeah. So they're actually discussing kind of staggering it. And Serena White going one year Federer the next year. But in my head, I'm like, I've interviewed Federer once. It was in a press conference setting, which is not the same, right? 30 people. Yeah. I lobbed a question. He didn't make eye contact with me. Like, we answered the question. <laughs> he but looked I'm like, me in the eye. <laughs> yeah, he did look me in the eye. He answered my question. I'm like, we need, I need 10 seconds. Like, I've talked to John Wertheim, of course, for Tennis Channel, Sports Illustrated, 60 Minutes, Steve Weissman, Tennis Channel. I'm like, I need, I need 10 seconds. Like, I'm going to go there. I just 10 seconds to literally shake his hand. Roger, you're my inspiration. You're my life. You're my everything. Picture, and we're good. Like, can we yeah. do 10 seconds? They're like, I don't know. Like, we'll, we'll try. So to your point, I'm like, okay, so Federer, that happened. I'm like, De Niro, I've met. We had a 20-minute interview. Uh, Pacino, I have met, had a 30-second conversation. Like, Marty's the one. Like, of, of all the people, you'd be like, and Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti and Marty. Like, everybody else, I'm like, no, I've, I've met Ethan Hawke. I've talked to, you know, Michael Keaton. So the elevator door is open. You step in. How's this going? Hey, Marty, big fan, just huge fan. Couldn't be a bigger one. My Please. son's middle name is Scorsese. That's the first thing I would say. Like, just, 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 like, let's not, go. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. My eldest son uses middle name. <laughs> nice. Because you got to go with something that's going to just catch his attention. So my son's middle name is Scorsese. He's like, oh, really? Like, and I'm like, first of all, look, like, that's what a huge fan I like. You're meeting people every day who love you. You're not meeting anybody to my level of fanaticism. Wow. My son, my firstborn son, his middle name is your name. How does your son feel about that? Loves it. Love like, Scorsese. is he like, does he like, because of that, he like fought like, like into his movies and stuff like he's. Well, so the other day in honor of De Niro's birthday, in honor of, first, I should say on my birthday, I always watch a Scorsese movie. So that <laughs> night I watched, we went to the beach at the other and I watched Raging Bull. So I normally rotate Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas. You know, those are among yeah. my favorites. So normally it's one of those, Wolf of Wall Street, whatever. So I said to him, you know, you're 15 now. If you want to watch Raging Bull with me. And I showed him the trailer and he was like, eh. I get, I get this is one of the greatest films of all time. Like I've probably seen this movie 10, 15. I watch every year. I watch one of his movies. You're named after him. He was like, hmm. I go, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Goodfellas he loved. Now, Goodfellas he loved. And Goodfellas he loved from the first scene. Like once they start stabbing Billy Bats, because this movie is awesome. Like I, I, yeah. I told you, like, I, I trust me. I go, when, we, when you want to watch Casino, let me know. You're going to love these movies. There, there's, I, I, I wouldn't name you to somebody that's like, not cool. Like, trust me, I wouldn't give you like a bad, like, think of if I'd gone that way. I'm like, oh, I'm just a huge Patrick Swayze fan. May he rest in peace. I'm like, I'm not going to force you to watch Dirty Dancing. I'm like, trust me, buddy. Your middle I name is Jeffrey Sarah. Cool Michael Sarah, I don't know. Just yeah, except Michael Sarah, like that. the least cool actor. <laughs> but shout out to Michael Sarah, by the way. Fantastic oh, last week at Cinefile. People really enjoyed his interview. Rare to get an actor in the actor's strike. No, I think that's what elevator door opens. I'm going with my son, and that's it. And it's just kind of, but even kind of like with Michael Keaton, like I don't even know if I'd ask for a picture. Weird elevator selfie, like ah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would just be so. <laughs> I'm like my tongue's like, ah, him looking like up at like in an elevator, just like yeah. oh, okay, he's ah. just horrified. It's almost like it's just not meant to be. Like it, 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 it I just couldn't handle it. It's, it's almost better if I never meet him. Like everybody else, dude. The other day, Bob Costas calls me. It was hysterical. We we have had Bob on the show. And then I mentioned Ben Mankiewicz, of course, the host of Turner Classic Movies. And afterwards, Costas texts me. He goes, oh, apparently you're tight with Mankiewicz. I go, yeah, he's my guy. I'm like, Ben's the best. Why? And he's like, I actually have an idea for TCM. He's like, I would love to have lunch with him. You're, of course, more than welcome to come, provided that you'll pay and let me know. So I said, well, Mank lives in LA. So I text Ben and he was, I was like, how was this for a name drop? Bob Costas wants to have lunch with you. And he has an idea to run by Turner Classic Movies. He's like, well, I'm flattered. He's like, I, I'm, I'm rarely in New York. He's an L.A. guy. He goes to Atlanta to shoot for TCM. Of course, that's where the Turner yeah. Studios are. He's like, but, you know, maybe I can make an exception. So then Bob calls me. He's like, yeah, so how's it looking? I go, I can't believe like I'm like, I'm engineering yeah. something for Bob Costas. I'm like, well, I, a follow up from Bob. Yeah, a too. It's not he's like, he's like, like, right. yeah, he's like, I have a great Willie Mays story for you. But first, I mean, he, I was like, I'll, I'll do what I can. Like, I, I mean, 
I that is which but just raise the question of this. So if I was in Ben's shoes, I was in LA and you said to me, Hey, Dan Levitard really wants to meet you. Yeah. Would I hop on a plane to be like, I'm gonna like I'm like, hey, I, I'm a huge fan. I love Dan Levitard, but like I'm gonna am I gonna pay is that guy in a spot where like a good idea could help his career or he would just be passing it along? Like, is that, I don't know. Like we're getting into the weeds here, but I, I no, feel like if right. Bob Costas wants to have lunch with me, I'm, I'm, if I have the means to do it, I'm hopping on a bird. I think that's what, that's what we're looking at here. So to put it to your suit, if I didn't know Dan Levitard, but I'm obviously a huge fan of you in the show, somehow you and I get to meet each other and you're like, Hey, yeah. Dan wants to have lunch with you. He has an yeah. idea for you. I think I'm yeah. like, no problem. Dan Levitard. Yeah. yeah. Is Next Poppy week, coming? Like Wednesday, I'll be there. <laughs> We'll see how enticed Ben Manquitz is by Bob Costas here momentarily. But yeah, generally, well, who's somebody you would love to meet? Somebody, a heroic, a hero, I don't know if a hero, but somebody that you're like, oh my God, if I met this person, you're a big comedy guy. It's got to be a comedian. Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. Elevator door open, Seth Rogen. <laughs> what do you say to Seth I would Rogen? definitely go meet. If Seth Rogen was, someone was like, Seth Rogen wants to have lunch with me. Yeah. Like, I'm someone who like, I, I have ideas for movies. Like, I've never written a script, but I just, I would definitely take that meeting. And we he's a weed dope. guy. I mean, I feel like me and him would be kindred spirits. <laughs> I was going to say, Stugatz would definitely come along for the ride. You guys would be just so baked. It would be unbelievable. <laughs> Seth Rogen coming soon. To, this should be able to happen. We should be able to get Seth Rogen. Once the strike is over, we're going to talk to Laura Brown. We should I'll be able to get with them. I'll hang out with you. <laughs> that's terrible. It's a bad one. No, no that's you... not a bad Seth Rogen impression. That's a tough voice to do. Do it again. I'll give you a little bit of time. He's into it. Let me... <laughs> Nah, man. I, I know the, Seth the first Rogen one laugh. was better. The first yeah. one was better. The first one was better. I mean, good, I, guess. I guess. I guess. I, guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I love it. Three Seth Rogen impressions. We'll do our best to get after it. Once again, happy birthday to Bob. 80 years old, still giving us all the greatness. Uh, like I said, I watched Raising Bulligan on my birthday. I watched The Irishman again as well. I watched it. I saw it. I don't remember the story. I saw it three times in theaters. When that movie came out, it was at the New York Film Festival. was the premiere, which was a Friday. And I saw it where Scorsese was there, De Niro, Pacino, Keitel, Pesci. So at least I could say I was in the same room as those guys. Again, Marty didn't make eye contact with me, but I was <laughs> I, I breathed the same oxygen as them. And then the next day I took my wife to see it. She loved it. And then one of my buddies was visiting from, from Toronto. He was like, dude, I haven't seen The Irishman yet. He's got two kids. He never gets, gets out. I was like, you want to go see it? I'll take you. He's like, all right. So I saw it three times in the theaters. I, when I watched it again the other day, I hadn't seen it in four years. It's crazy to think about 2019. If I said to you The Irishman came out four years ago, would you say that sounds about right? Would you say that's later than you thought or earlier than? Like to me, that was like, wow, I thought it was like last year, or two yeah, years ago. Yeah, I thought it was more recent. I would have said two years ago. Yeah, I'm like four years ago that movie came out. I'm so while watching it again, even though I'd seen it three times, and again, I know all the jokes, it's so long, but like I'd forgotten certain things. I'm like, oh yeah, that seems really good. That seems really good. I'm trying to tell my kids again, I'm like, you don't understand. This is De Niro, Pacino, Scorsese. Pesci, Kaitel, like all together. Like it's like the greatest hits. It's like an all-star game. I'm surprised you have clothes on when you watch that, honestly. <laughs> People were laughing. They go, they go, they it's like they made the movie for Adnan. They're like, we gotta, we gotta give him a birthday present. What's the thing he would love? <laughs> and before I forget, Claire Atkins did text back after Chris's, if you missed Chris's stories about Nashville, he was discussing how there's so many bachelorette parties and a place that white women love. They're referred to as pedal taverns. There it is. And she said, my parents can't go out to dinner downtown anymore without being flashed by women on a tractor slash trailer yes. slash pedal tavern. So right. There's Chris different ones. There's you can just be in the bed of like uh, something being pulled by a tractor where it's just yeah. kind of like or you can be like on a bike pedaling like they're two different yeah. kind of things. And it's just it's they're the rage. Everyone's doing them. And you can't go 10 feet in Nashville without seeing them. That's so bizarre. Like, I just, I, like, I think and they're always having my... so much fun. Woo! Yeah. And they're like waving to people they go by. Like, they're having so much fun. 
a pedal tavern. Uh, my buddy Mitch, who right now is ailing, recovering from hip surgery, he also said, hey, tell Cody I like the idea of is this guy great or weird? So that's two votes for that one. <laughs> And uh, my brother also wanted to say he passed along. He's a good joke by Cody about conservatorships on cinephile. He's absolutely right. You never hear about them in a positive light. I mean, it's just like I have two examples of conservatorships. <laughs> I can't say it. Conservatorships. Michael Orr and Britney Spears. Not <laughs> <It's> good. Like, <laughs> bad, bad. Yeah. All right. Good. And Britney now getting divorced. I don't know what the story is there, but somebody mentioned that the other How day. How many so. divorces is that for her? It got to be at least three. Yeah. Kevin I love that it was her and Kevin Federline, Cave yeah. Fed. Like that guy was ridiculous. But who the hell is this guy? He's a backup dancer. And he calls himself Cave Fed. Did him like, and Brittany ever actually get married, or they were just dating and then maybe they're just I don't dating? Think they don't actually. Yeah, I think I think Cave Fed was her first actual marriage. <laughs> What a great time. I'd mentioned to you previously about social media, and I, I did heed your advice. When I was like, no, Cody's right. If I, delete, if I deactivate, then you've lost everything. Like I should, I should be able to trade these followers. But what I do now is I treat it like email in like 1998. I just go on, like I've turned off the notifications, which has been amazing. And I just check it like once a day. Like when you used to go to a computer yeah. like, and check your email, I'm like, okay, so I just check Instagram at like 6 p.m. Once a day, yeah. just what's going on. Anything of interest? No. Nope. Someone messaged me? No. Nope. And I move on with my day. Fantastic. Yeah. That is the way I, I handle it. That's the way to handle it's it. A well, the notifications with it. Yeah, the notifications are disgusting. All right. Um, oh, a couple of things here, too. Uh, tough, awkward segue, but let's get to death. Billy Friedkin just died, who I mentioned recently because of the great clip, which Chris is going to play now, in case you've missed it. He did the movie Cruising, which Scott Rogowski and I discussed in detail, one of my favorite moments here on Cinephile. Again, I, I think in, in many ways, well, at the time it was viewed as a huge bomb. I think it's a misfire, but there's definitely some great moments, and I think there's it's a real curiosity. And notably, also, is that Friedkin and Pacino did not get along. In case you're curious, here's my favorite clip now of a dead director speaking about my favorite actor. I don't give a flying fuck into a rolling donut about what Al Pacino thinks. Is that an answer to your question, Greg? Yeah, it's the straightest answer I could... Uh, I, could I mean, I could be sitting here for an hour and try and explain it, but that's a fact. Exactly. You know? Of course. I cared a lot, for example, about what Tommy Lee Jones thought, because this guy was a brilliant, professional, prepared actor. Mm -hmm. And he would think about his character more than the director, more than me. He would come to the set with absolutely brilliant ideas. And I don't feel the same about Pacino. So uh, as soon as I heard the news that Billy Friedkin died, I said, well, it, I don't think it gives a rolling donut or anything now because he's, uh, he's he's moving on. 80 years of age. Again, if you don't know his work at all, you should watch The French Connection with Gene Hackman. That character of this, like, you know, cop who's just, you know, balls of the wall and take no prisoners, racist. Hackman didn't like playing it because he was and even there's an interview I saw Friedkin said he was like, Gene's like a very... You know, liberal leaning guys, very, you know, man of the people. He's like, well, this guy's like a racist. Like, he's like, dropping N bombs and like you know, Hispanic slurs. He's like, yeah, but that's this is the story. He's like a racist New York cop who just does whatever. And he, so he said it was awkward at times in the set, but the movie still holds up. There's some great uh, action sequences, of course, the car chases. And if you're just a fan of cop movies, I'm sure you've seen The French Connection. And of course, The Exorcist, which recently we discussed with that author who was on. Can't remember his name right now. He had a great voice, though. Chris gave him props for his audio setup, which was excellent. So, um, yeah. Convenient timing with the Exorcist 50th anniversary and Billy Friedkin passing away. Again, the famous story there is that we slapped the priest. Uh, again, I watched an interview the other day. He, he said, he goes, he was just trying to get a reaction from the guy. He was not an actor. So he said, do you trust me? And he said, yeah. And he goes, do you love me? He said, I love you, Billy. And then wham, he smacked the guy as hard as he could. And then he goes, action. 
and then he forced this guy to get into the character. So definitely, uh, definitely not a man to be trifled with, but clearly a good director. And if you like some of his recent work, Killer Joe with Matthew McConaughey, that's actually a pretty good Billy Freakin' movie from a few years ago. Jade, not so great. Another death, which well, I'm sure hit Cody hard. Uh, actually, it's not really quite your era. It's a little bit, a little bit before your time. But Paul Rubin's passing away, the notable Pee Wee Herman. Which again, if you think about notable <laughs> actors, I was gonna say you gotta have a Pee Wee Herman impression today. <laughs> A guy known for two things, like Paul Rubens is known for making this character is just just so unique. I don't even know how he describe people who are someone who doesn't know it. Just bizarre, colorful, unique, original. And the movie originally, right, Tim Burton directed it, so it clearly had some cachet to it. And also known for one other thing. And I would love to say it's the fact he played <laughs> Batman's dad or Penguin's dad in Batman Returns. But no, he's also known for the fact he was caught masturbating in adult theater. Of, of all the things, like you go from playing Pee Wee Herman Again, somebody beloved by children, strange, quirky, weird, and then beating off in a, in a porn theater. Like of all the things, I'm like, oh my god, like that's just it's tough. But those are the really the two big things that stood out. And again, he wasn't Batman Returns, which I do love. So rest in, yeah, there you go. I love it. We're getting Pee Wee Herman. Okay, send in your favorite Pee Wee Herman impression. We'll see if Chris can top it. We should do a game here on the Unset of Vile. Once again, rest in peace to Paul Rubens and uh, to Billy Freakin. Let's get to our first guest here, Edon Ravine. Our new topic of the week, which is winning time. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Winning Time, which is one of the best shows on television now, has returned to HBO. It's available on HBO, 9 o'clock Eastern. You can watch it on Sundays, or you can watch it on Max. And the producer, Edon Ravine, kind of join us right now. Edon, great to see you. Congrats on seeing Winning Time now back for all of us to enjoy here on HBO. Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So I love the first season. It was just so entertaining. And there's just there's so much meat on the bone. Like it's just a really salacious time, I think, in America, in Los Angeles for basketball. And there's so many colorful characters and stories to be told. What was it that attracted you to the story? Did you read Jeff Perlman's book initially? Did Adam McKay get you involved? Tell me about how you got involved specifically. Okay, so um Jeff Perlman's book came out the same time that my book came out, The Hoops mm. Whisperer. And both of them, both books sat at the front table of Barnes and Noble, and I was just like fascinated. And so I read his, we had the same literary age, and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And then, um, like a few years later, I got a call um, from one of Adam's producers and was, and he says to me, hey, do you have some time? I said, sure, what? And he said, uh, can you turn one of our actors into Magic Johnson? And I <laughs> laughed going, there's 400 guys in the NBA who can't be Magic Johnson, and they've had a head start, right? Right. And so I said, what's our timeline? And then they go, uh, what about a week? And I laughed again. And I said, look, let me let me come out to L.A. Let me check under the hood and see what we got going on. Mm-hmm. So I flew out to L.A. and I spent some time with Quincy. And you know, I started kind of figuring out if anyone in the world can do this, then I know I can do this. 
So I went back and I said to Adam, I think there's essentially, this is sort of a three-step process. The first thing is to take Quincy and to turn him into more of a basketball athlete. So Quincy's athletic history, he's a good athlete, but he was a, a, he was a lineman in college, college football player, was a lineman. So a lot of his athleticism was sort of confined to that five-yard space, right, where you're banging and you're bulky and you're strong and you're kind of limited in that space. All of a sudden, now you have to build this out into 94 by 50 feet with this sort of elegance and grace that a basketball player has, also factoring in a lot of the, the linear and the vertical components that require basketball players to have. So after we sort of started integrating the, the turning him into more of a basketball athlete, the next phase in the process was to turn him into a basketball player. And that sort of developing all the technical skills that are required. The one in my experience, one of the most important things is that when you're working on a show with such incredible directors like, you know, like Sally Richardson Winfield and um, Adam McKay, is there are moments where the director will require an audible. So imagine watching a Bruce Lee movie and all you know is one kata. Well, that's going to run you in some troubles if all of a sudden they want a roundhouse kick, they want a flying dragon kick, they want all this other stuff. So with Quincy, the part of this process as well is developing sort of a whole array of stuff that he needed to do in the event he had to improvise. So that was making him just an overall better player. Then the last phase of this process was turning him to the silhouette of the character which is very, very, very tough because when you're playing John Smith, who cares? When you're playing Magic Johnson, one of the greatest, greatest players in the history of the game, everyone is looking for a reason to think that this is not authentic. So everything had to be perfect from the run, from the walk, from the dribble, from the release, from how you're super dramatic when you follow through on your pass, on your jumper. Everything just constantly has to sell. I am watching Magic Johnson. And then that process was repeated across our Larry Bird character, our Kareem character, our Michael Cooper, our Norm Nixon, our Dr. J, across every sort of iconic character that you would see on the show. It's really cool. Uh, Quincy Isaiah has got a lot of charisma. One of the biggest things I noticed is he's got that smile. And I was like, you know, you can't play magic unless you got that smile. And his smile really rings true. And to your point, the athleticism, the work ethic, et cetera, but you don't have that smile. Quincy's fantastic. He's a savant. And I give him so much credit as well because he's very, very devoted. And I think people don't realize, like, this was an incredibly, incredibly difficult show to prepare for as when you're one of the actors playing these iconic characters. Because not only do you have sort of the acting component, now you have also the physical component and the basketball component, right? And again, you're not playing John Smith. Everybody knows who Kurt Rambis is. Everybody knows who Julius Irving is. Everybody knows who Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is. So you constantly had to master that silhouette along with all the acting pieces. So I give these guys a tremendous amount of credit because what we did was really tough. Let's talk a little bit about Solomon Hughes then playing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I think it's a fascinating case study because whereas magic is you know, charismatic, irrepressible, partying a little too much, perhaps obviously having a few affairs. Solomon's character is uh, intrinsic, quiet, religious, aloof, loves jazz. I, I love Solomon's interpretation of giving that slice of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that life. But again... How do you find a guy to play criminal Jabbar, that height, that kind of soul? So tell me about Solomon. How okay, so Solomon is super intriguing, right? Because he did play college basketball at a very high level, and he's a very good basketball player. But what mm -hmm. made this tough for Solomon, I give him a lot of credit because he's unbelievably smart, unbelievably thoughtful and devoted was almost having to be counterintuitive into your approach to basketball. So the Kareem character, like why, what makes Kareem such a special basketball player is like obviously there's the sky hook, but it's ability for him to play slow and then to generate power. So when you're a college basketball player or the I work with hundreds of NBA players, 
it's very the goal is to put the ball in the basket whatever way you got to do it so it's generally playing fast playing quick taking advantage of that competitive finding that competitive advantage to score now all of a sudden you have to take that all dial that all back now solomon has to work on playing unbelievably slow very methodical very deliberate and at that precise moment move into that sky hook which is again the idea of going from slow to very powerful and that's really, really, really complex and kind of works everything against everything you know in your central nervous system because to generate power, you have to go from fast to faster. Now it's going from slow to fast. And again, mirroring all the sort of the technique and the extension that's required from your toes to the fingers to be able to mirror that that skyhook. So it's very complex. And I give again Solomon a ton of credit because he figured it out and you know it was very effective on camera. And speaking of effective, it just looks like perfect casting seeing John C. Riley playing Jerry Buss. You know, I know it's at one point Will Ferrell was attached to the role, was interested in the role, but I can't imagine anyone doing it better than John C. Riley. You know, with the uh, chest hair exposed, that uh, glint in his eye, that wicked smile he has, the the devil may care attitude. He just seems to be channeling Jerry Buss so well. Oh, John is outstanding. And plus, you're looking at an incredibly experienced actor as well. So he brings so much texture and depth to the role. And also being on set, right? He's just kind of a guiding light and a mentor for a lot of young actors who haven't had that opportunity yet. And so it, like, it's almost like playing with LeBron or Steph Curry or Kobe. Mm-hmm. Like when you're around John C. Riley and Adrian Brody and um, Jason Clark and Sally Field, it's essentially, it forces everyone to elevate their game. So it's sometimes it's sort of this un- like unintentional respect right that they're demanding but like sort of unintentionally because they're so talented they're so devoted they kind of raise everyone else's game at the same time when you look at that talent you go hey oscar winner adrian brody like that's that's a huge coup having him playing pat riley and those other actors as well and i love jason clark he's so funny as a very profane jerry west how do you balance the fact that you know that as you said these are real people these are living people they're not going to like certain characterizations in the case of jerry west i guess maybe he took umbrage at the portrayal how do you balance that between saying listen we're telling a very specific story versus is what actual people may say about how their actors are being portrayed. Look, I, I think that, um, you know, just in my experience of being having worked with so many of the greatest athletes in the world, like everything is done with tremendous respect and honor, like and helping tell the story. Yeah, it, it might not be like the exact story that someone sort of sees in their own eye, but it's always done with a level to me. The intention is like is like there's a very honest intention. Right. Um, I think, you know, from from a cinematic standpoint, you have to create like an arc to a character, an arc to a story. Otherwise, the story is flat. So there has to be a growth to a character, like like an ebb and a flow. So no different than when you work with, you know, Carmelo Anthony. There's a day where he's, you know, he's okay. There's a day he's a great. There's a day he's a little moody. He's a day he's kind. It's just sort of human behavior, right? You want to see all the different textures of people's personality. Um, you know, is I think, again, um, uh, are there moments where there's been some sort of creative liberty? Sure, it's not a documentary, but I think, like to me, the intense what matters. Like I think there's just so much respect and honor and like reverence given to these characters that I think that's kind of what I value. We're talking to Edon Ravine right now, talking about winning time on HBO Sundays at nine o'clock Eastern, and also available on Max. I talked to Michael Chiklis here on this podcast, and he was yeah. great talking about you know he grew up in the Boston area, so getting to play Red Auerbach, he was so thrilled. And and for a lot of these guys, like if you're a basketball fan, you're just chomping at the bit to dive into these roles. What I think is really important and essential to the show is you're not 
jumping ahead too much in time. Like season one was one season. Now, I yeah. don't know if season two is going to be one season, but it's not like, let's go right to 1987. Like, no, we'll, we'll get there. Like, I love the fact yes. you're being very patient in the process. And hopefully yeah. this will be a show that runs on HBO for seven seasons. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that um, it, it it gives people sort of a window into a world they're not really familiar with, right? Because, you know, you know about the basketball you see on TV, but you don't also know that there's a whole backstory to the world of professional sports. There's a whole backstory to each athlete, how they got to the NBA in the first place. And it's filled with a lot of struggle and frustration and happiness and joy and sometimes like poor choices and good choices and tension. And I think that's what makes the story special is that it's kind of you know, it brings to light a lot of this, a lot of the world of pro sports that people aren't familiar with, mm -hmm. right? I think you imagine, oh, you know, everyone in the locker room gets along, it's kumbaya. It's not a very tense place. You know, I see it firsthand when you train a lot of athletes, you know what actually what happens. You know, you don't realize is that I don't know what it's like to have $500 million and be 24 years old and being like in the heart of temptation. Would I always make the right decision? I don't know. It's tough. So I, I think this story is very human and that kind of puts you in touch with like a, sort of this, um, you know, what these people deal with on a day to day, not just necessarily putting a ball in the basket and buying a Ferrari. So I, I think the story is very compelling and very important and it touches upon a lot of things that um you know that have people that we have to deal with you know like conversations about racism and misogyny and infidelity and trust and chemistry and what it means to be a team i think these are all very very important questions to get addressed in this in, sort of in the form of story and that's why i think this is such a great show um what's the reception been like as far as like friends family perhaps uh celebrity laker fans you know nicholson dicaprio particularly that episode where you really kind of dive into the rivalry with the celtics and this whole montage of f boss and all that stuff i'm sure it's been received well by lakers fans oh for sure look i i, I think i just asked my nba guys what do they think and they love it right um mm -hmm. which is really nice because in many ways it's like it's a a, a peek into their life Right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know a lot of Laker fans. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, I think my parents watch it, you know, because uh, out of respect for me. But I, when I reach out to my NBA guys, they're like, man, this is really good. I really enjoy it. It's very fun. It's very real. Um, it's pretty much they say they love it. It's obviously very gratifying when that that market really enjoys it. One of the yeah. aspects, Edan, you know, you appreciate with HBO is they'll let you do whatever you want. And, and it's going to be uncensored and provocative. And, you know, there's a lot of sexual scenes and you're that that's that yeah. content of that era. As you said, you're talking yeah. about infidelity, exploring that magic Johnson's going down on women, et cetera. You know, how much focus do you say, is there a conversation with Adam McKay, whomever saying, all right, how much is too much? Or is it just, you know what, we're going to be as honest to that era. And it was glitz and glamor and excess. And here's what it is. So, you know, like I'd have to defer that question to the writers, but just from my perspective, I think they did a great job in creating a layer of authenticity, right? Because in the locker room, there is nudity, right? right. And in the locker rooms, guys, guys talk about what girls they slept with. And, the, you know, right. these are very, very famous actors. And there's, I mean, like athletes, and there are lots of groupies in that world. So right. I think there's a lot of accuracy and a lot of um, I mean, moments that really sort of like enhance the storyline because you're going, this is what really does happen, right? Yeah. And then to me, it's also adds to the storyline. You know, here's Magic Johnson comes from a really good family, right? A two person, like two parent family. He doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. And, you know, and his kryptonite is women, right? And so there's something very humane about kind of showing this, like how this man couldn't sort of stop this temptation, right? Like he constantly gave into it. So I, I think that, um, you know, it was an addiction, right? So, right. you know, we can look at it as lots of sex scenes, but to me, it's also sort of a statement of like issues in America, which is lots of people have an addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs or food or sex or gambling, right? And it's just another example of that.
Yeah, hundred percent. I was uh, taken aback. In fact, the Emmys didn't give it more love. So I'm hoping that was just a, a momentary blip. And season two will be well received by the critics, by the Emmy voters, by fans, and everybody who's going to be watching. Once again, Winning Time is on HBO Sundays, nine o'clock Eastern, and available on Max. Producer Edom Ravine. This was awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good one. Okay, good stuff there from Edon. Once again, you can check out Winning Time on HBO and on Max. I mentioned kids' summer vacations, so my wife's been keeping them occupied, finding old movies and such. So the other day, I strolled by and I saw them watching Liar Liar, and so I got to sit down and watch this, at least for the boardroom scene alone. If you've never seen Liar Liar, this is a story a pathological liar slash lawyer finds his career turned upside down when he inexplicably cannot physically lie for 24 whole hours. It's directed by Tom Shadiak. Again, if you remember that name, him and Jim Carrey had a great thing going there in the 90s with Ace Ventura. And it's one of these high concept comedies, which in a real simple terms means, can you say the story if you're pitching it to a studio executive in one sentence? So Jim Carrey, funniest man alive, can't lie. Let's do it. Okay, cool. Greenlight the movie. And I'm sure he got $10 million, whatever it was for it. But Again, I didn't watch it start to finish, so I can't see for sure if it holds up. But I, I mean, the scenes that I was watching, just his gift for physical comedy and just his gusto. I mean, there was there was nobody, Cody, willing to do more for a joke than I feel like Jim Carrey in the 90s. The blue pen scene yeah. in, the, in the office where he's just like trying to say that the pen is red. The pen that I hold in my hand is... <laughs> And then he's just like, and then they like come into the office and he's just totally beat. The pet is blue. The pet is blue. <laughs> all over oh my God. Best, best bathroom fight scene in movie history. Yeah. Uh, he, I'm kicking my ass. Do you mind? <laughs> Some guy comes in there. Oh, and then that courtroom scene. Simmons is old. Oh, yeah, the, the boardroom scene. Exactly. He insults each person. You're right. This is old. You have bad breath. He People has bad breath you. caused by yeah. gingivitis. You have the... <laughs> Incredible. Honestly, give yourself five minutes a day. And if you haven't seen it in a while, just Google boardroom scene, liar, liar. It's unreal. Whips the guys to the pay off. The claw is coming. The <laughs> claw is coming to get you. The Jerry. Good, good. A lot of good performances, honestly, in oh. there. It's unbelievable. It's really, uh, like I said, I mean, Jim Carrey is never going to win an Academy Award. He pretty much just, just quit acting at this point. He was in Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. He made his, I would say, bid for an Oscar when he was making those serious types of movies. As we know, the Oscars are always predisposed not to reward comedies, not saying he should win an Oscar for Ace Ventura. But my point is, even those kinds of comedies, like Truman Show, he wasn't nominated. Kind of had his chance there with Milo Schwarman when he was playing Man on the Moon, playing Andy Kaufman, still didn't win the Oscar there. Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind, again, great film. Really loved by critics. It wasn't nominated for an Oscar. So it was kind of like when Kerry was pushing for an Oscar, he couldn't, couldn't get the attention. And then he was like, well, I made all my big comedies, made all my money. I tried to win an Oscar. That didn't work out. I think he won a couple of Golden Globes along the way. But regardless, the guy is just a comedic genius. I don't think we can argue that. Do you see him making like uh, a, because it seems like he is, and I think it's by choice. He like anytime yeah. you see him interviewed, he's one of these guys now that's like, I don't even exist. I'm yeah. not even here right now. So he's kind of flown off the handle. It looks like a little bit, but I just I feel like the right role, like Jim Carrey, like I want him to have that moment that you're talking about, where he yeah. he does a role people aren't expecting, and he like really shows those chops. Like I feel like that will happen in the next ten years. There's got to be a role out there for Jim Carrey where we can see that greatness again. 
Yeah, like Robert Downey Jr. was obviously a very good actor in the 80s, then had his drug problems, then came back, and Iron Man, you know, rewrote his career. But he made Chaplin, which, again, was a film nominated. He was nominated for Best Actor. The movie wasn't great, but it was a reminder what a good actor Robert Downey Jr. is. Like, think how hard it is to play Charlie Chaplin, who's so physically gifted. If, like, Jim Carrey could have, like, an, a role playing, like, a famous comedian. Like, if he was Peter Sellers or yeah. something. Like, oh, my God. It'd be like, you know, because Hollywood loves its stories about itself. So, like, a great biography of a great comedian, and it's like Carrie getting into character playing this guy like that would be kind of thing like oh that that's Oscar bait for sure and if you're creating a movie and you're looking for like who can be my face that isn't just your run of the mill like I just feel like he's the he's got to be on people's radars for like if we find the right role for him being Jim Carrey being built up as this this latest great Jim Carrey role I just feel like there's a lot of potential there no I'm with you when he was on with uh, Seinfeld and comedians and cars getting coffee he basically said like he wasn't acting anymore he just really loves painting and incredibly talented Seinfeld went to his place he sold these paintings like you did all this and Jim Carrey's like oh he loves his graphic design he was very politically motivated too so a lot of his paintings were like anti-Trump stuff at the time so I remember it was very specific Sonic can't be it Sonic can't be like the last thing we see Jim Carrey in. Like, what's happening here? I don't know. It'd be kind of shocking. Eggman, the giant mustache. I mean, my kids enjoyed it. It was nice to see Is Jim Carrey. Is it just Carrey the payday? Again, like, Is he just like, you know what? I'll take a bunch of money if you want to give it to me. Like, what I think, else? I think, yeah, I think he was pretty much done acting. He was like, you know what? Let me get one more good payday. $10, 15000000 million. I'll probably get a little bit of the gross movie, make a ton of money. I'm sure there's a Sonic 3 at some point. He gets to hang out with Ben Schwartz. Maybe that was the motivation. I want to meet yeah. Ben Schwartz, hang out with him, get a couple of stories. Yeah, I don't think, I think he's pretty much good. Also, if you ever watch the, uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but the documentary about Man on the Moon. To your yes, point, like he's so he, good. He, yeah, it was amazing how he stayed in character and just pissed everybody off. It was, it really showed the way he was. Like staying in character I means sometimes you're just a jerk to people. Like it was just, and it could be a good argument. Like, was it worth it for the performance or was he mistreating people on set? I mean, at one right. point, you sort of think maybe Jim Carrey's lost his mind. Like the one clip he said something like, maybe if I came back and played Jesus, and you're like, okay, I don't. Yeah. I think he might be, I might be a little off his rocker at this point, but I love the guy. Canadian treasure. Again, liar, liar, if you've never seen it. Uh, how about Jennifer Tilly? Unbelievable. You got oh, more yeah. tyranny. Just, I mean, strong cast up and down. Like Carrie Elvis is in the Carrie mm-hmm. Elvis playing the dad. Really good. It's a it's a good cast and a good time capsule uh, of that era of the late 90s. A couple of blurbs for you. Paul Tatar of CNN.com. I would tell you this is a loud, obvious, one-joke movie, but most of you would run out and pony up the eight bucks to see it anyway. Look how times have changed. Eight bucks to see a movie back in 97. Liar, liar. Once again, check it out. Available for streaming. Next week. Again, the movies will start to get a little bit better once we start to slip into fall, and we'll get a good action movie. The Equalizer 3, starring one of the best actors alive, Denzel Washington. I got 20 minutes with Antoine Fuqua, the director who, of course, guided Denzel to winning an Oscar for Training Day, did the previous two Equalizers, did Southpaw, Jake Gyllenhaal, did an Ali documentary. So really cool interview with Antoine Fuqua coming up. I hope you'll all enjoy that. Until then, enjoy my segments with David Sampson. Support Chris Cody, The Love Show, and I'll see you at the movies.